0: it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day, and he too is the reason for the season. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us today. Today, Pastor Elliot reminds us that Jesus came to be our Savior from sin. He also reminds us of the huge danger that sin presents. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott.
1: You know, the concept of Savior pops up so many times and in so many ways in God's Word. Just a sampling. God asking Abraham to sacrifice his special son Isaac, the nation of Israel's scapegoats. Remember, there were two goats in the camp of Israel. There were lots taken, and and one goat was slaughtered, and its blood sacrifice temporarily covered the nation's sin, and the scapegoat was the other goat, and it was set free to picture that this nation's sin was looked after and taken away with the goat that lived. Salvation and Savior themes are all through the Bible. Or or old Simeon's words in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. You can look it up this afternoon, perhaps. He said, now I can go, I can die, because God's promised to let me see his Savior, the consolation of Israel. I've laid eyes on the baby, the Savior. Or John the Baptist's words, when Jesus' public ministry was emerging, he points to Jesus on the banks of the River Jordan, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, yes, salvation and Savior is rife through all of God's word, Old and New Testaments. The Old Testament Hebrew word which translates Savior is yasha. Yasha. Yasha has a range of meanings. It means avenger, Defender, Deliverer, Helper, Preserver, Rescuer, One Who Brings Salvation and Victory, and Yasha means Savior. And with the repetition of this Hebrew word, Yasha, the Old Testament consistently looked forward to Jesus Christ. And today, with a completed Bible, we know that Jesus Christ alone is God's rescuer, God's preserver and helper, God's deliverer, God's defender, God's avenger, the one to bring salvation and victory, we know that Jesus is the only Savior for the world, the only one we'll ever get. During the future tribulation, the world will be duped to think that Antichrist is a Savior, that he won't be the true Savior. And so, Savior is our Christmas word this morning. And when you think with me this Christmas season about Jesus being your Savior who's been miraculously born, please remember to pray for the lost in your family who come to your table this afternoon to eat the ham and the turkey and the macaroni and cheese. The people who pull up to your table this afternoon or maybe not today, another day in the Christmas season, who don't know Jesus as Savior, will you pray for their salvation? Will you invite them to trust Christ after you explain the gospel to them? If you don't, who will? It was David Smithers who asked a challenging question. He asked this, Is hell larger today than it was yesterday because many of us have failed to pray and share our faith? Is hell larger today than it was yesterday because many of us have failed to pray and to share our faith? You know, I want you to imagine yourself To be in a real predicament, a life-endangering predicament, I want you to imagine yourself being in a pit of quicksand. I want you to imagine yourself sinking fast in that quicksand. The Hindu holy man yells, die and reincarnate yourself. Buddha yells, think yourself out of it. Muhammad yells, work yourself out of it. Jesus gets in the quicksand with you and lifts you out of it. All world religions are not the same. We're seeing that the Hebrew word for Savior is Yasha. Now, what about the New Testament? What is the main word in the New Testament for Savior? It is a Greek word, of course, it is Soter. It kind of sounds like Savior, Soter. It means Savior or Deliverer. And what we are seeing is that the New Testament carries along the Old Testament's concept of Savior and Deliverer forward. And in the New Testament, it reveals God's Savior to have an identity that he was born of a virgin, that he is the Son of God, that he is, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ. We would accurately conclude, therefore, that the word and the notion of savior is about as central to the Bible as your brain is to your bodies. The concept of salvation and of God providing a savior because we cannot save ourselves is about as central to the Bible and the church as it is to breathe air. We don't have a Bible if we don't have a savior. We don't have forgiveness if we don't have a Savior. We don't have a home in heaven if we don't have a Savior. We don't have any hope on earth or for the afterlife if we don't have a Savior. Christmas is all about the Savior being born so that he could die for sin. There was a shadow over the manger. It was the shadow of the cross. The shadow of the cross was cast over the manger. Jesus was born to die. Christmas, therefore, is about the Savior and not Santa. Christmas is about deliverance from sin and not deliverance of presents. Christmas is about Messiah and not about mashed potatoes. Christmas is about Emmanuel and not about iPods. Christmas shows us that Egypt wasn't the biggest problem for Israel. Sin was. Christmas frees the Israelites from slaughtering animals to temporarily cover their sins, and Christmas shows us, church members, that Roman oppression and religious definition wasn't the biggest problem in the New Testament, nor is it the biggest problem in the current day. Our biggest problem back then and our biggest problem today is sin. Christmas should have yasha and soter written all over it, Mav Rosenthal, the former director of the Friends of Israel ministry, wrote this poem. It's called Mary Had the Little Lamb. Mary had the little lamb who lived before his birth, self-existent son of God. From heaven he came to earth. Mary had the little lamb. See him in yonder stall, virgin-born son of God to save men from the fall. Mary had the little lamb, obedient son of God. Everywhere the father led, his feet were sure to trod. Mary had the little lamb, crucified on the tree. The rejected son of God, he died to set men free. Mary had the little lamb, men placed him in the grave. Thinking they were done with him to death, he was no slave. Mary had the little lamb ascended now as he, all work on earth is ended, our advocate to be. Mary had the little lamb, mystery to behold, from the lamb of Calvary a lion will unfold. When the day star comes again of this, be very sure, it won't be the lamb-like silence,
0: but with the lion's roar. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. This is Pastor
2: Nicholas, and I serve here as a youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to continue on our series, Unwrapped. And we've been talking about how we need to share this good news. Last week we talked about how ordinary people like you and me were responsible for sharing the good news of Jesus all over our communities. These people weren't experts, but they were so impacted by what Jesus said and did that they just had to tell other people about him. I want to ask you a question. I want you to think of this morning. I want you to think back to your childhood or as a teenager or whatever it may be. And I want you to think of that time you were surprised the most by that gift. You know, you woke up on Christmas morning and you thought to yourself, well, I'm not going to get that thing I thought I was going to get because I don't see any signs of it. If you're anything like me, you might have been a little nosy trying to search around and see if your parents hid anything in the garage or in their closet or wherever it may be. But then you didn't see it. So you thought to yourself, well, I guess I'm not getting that. Or you may be like me one time. I remember seeing as somebody was stopping by our house and dropping off a bicycle that I really wanted. But I didn't let my parents know that I could see them. But I saw and heard when they came in and they was bringing this stuff because they were bringing it at the last minute so that we would not snoop around and see what it was. You see... This is what happens as we consider our life. We consider how we sometimes are surprised. And last week, we talked about the prophet John the Baptist, how he shared the gift of Jesus with others. You see, John came on the scene before Jesus began his ministry and teachings God used John to prepare people's hearts with the message of Jesus. And we talked about how his appearance was not ordinary at all. As he lived in a desert, wore clothes made of camel skin, and he ate bugs. But beyond his appearance, John's message wasn't very ordinary either. The things John preached were extraordinary. In Matthew chapter 3, verses eleven, it says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, because the kingdom of God is near. For he is the one who spoke of the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and the vicinity of Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of the vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent in repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from those stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worried to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. As we see in this passage, why was John's message so extraordinary? A few reasons. First, John was claiming that the thing Israel had spent hundreds of years waiting for was finally here. They had been waiting for peace and for a Savior who would change everything. According to John, the Savior was here. This was huge news. Secondly, this news was surprising because of God's people were expecting. They knew a Savior was coming, but they were expecting a powerful king or important political leader. Not someone who would be announced by a guy from the desert who ate bugs. And third, John was telling the people to change the way they lived. He told them to repair their hearts, start acting differently, and let the coming Messiah, who was about to be revealed as Jesus, change their lives. You see, religious people today, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, didn't like this. They believed that in order to get God to accept you, you had to follow the rules. And that they had figured out when they came to God. The religious leader didn't believe John's message, so they created a stir that got John thrown into jail. You can imagine how much of a downer that probably was. But while he was there, John got some good news. As we think of Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, and it says this When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his disciples, he moved from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison, what the Christ was doing. He sent a message to his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to him, Go and report to John what you have here, and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. You see, John had heard about what Jesus was doing. He had heard about the ministry, and he he saw the fulfillment of the prophecy that he had been delivering. You see, no matter how certain John probably felt about the message he had been preaching for so long, I'm sure the news that he hadn't been mistaken was still a bit surprising. The news was so good, almost too good to be true, that maybe John couldn't help but be surprised to find out that it was true. Jesus tells John's disciples that John was right all along. And now that he, the Savior, was there, it was a time to rejoice. You see, God's gifts can be surprising. You see, as we think of this and we see as John has been thrown to prison. And now he's asking the question, are you the one? He says this and he shows that how he is showing that he is the one. As we see the present, but he promised that the blind will see. The lame will walk, the sick will be healed, the dead will be raised, and the poor will receive this good news. The surprising news of Jesus was that God isn't impressed by our ability to follow the rules or good people. Jesus came to change everything. He defied the customs, expectations, rules, and even the laws of the universe to miraculously change everything. This is what he did. This is what Christ came, and now we can rejoice. And this week, I hope you'll let God surprise you with the gift of Jesus. I don't know how Jesus wants to show you up in your life right now, but I know he wants to. Just like he came to change everything 2,000 years ago, he is still changing everything today. And that's the reason to rejoice. Remember to rejoice. This week, if you have any time to think of something good, you can rejoice in. You know, we in our lives, we we have so much struggles and it's it's so Hard for us sometimes to rejoice. Because we so are we are so negative in our thinking so many times. We just think of the bad things. We think of the the things in our lives that we have to do. And especially during this time of year when people are so caught up in what they shouldn't be caught up in in the shopping and all these things that they miss the whole thing of Christmas, that they don't have time to rejoice about this King, the Jesus who came and who's gonna who died for our sins. You know. We just want to rejoice about the big things. But what about the small things we rejoice in? Maybe you go somewhere and you get some extra food. Maybe you get a day of no homework. You can rejoice. Maybe your mom makes your favorite dinner. You can rejoice in that. You know, we sometimes look at the big things to rejoice in. We want to look at, if I get a new phone, I'm going to rejoice. But why not look for the small things to to rejoice in? You see... When we think of the gift of Jesus, he didn't come in a way that we thought was the greatest way that we would rejoice and say, oh, this is the Messiah. But he came how God wanted him to come. You see, and we need to recognize that he came and he showed up and he's doing things in our lives that we need to understand. You see, God's gifts can be surprising. I want you to, can you imagine how your heart might change if you thank him for the, the small things? But what if sudden disappointment happens or you have a bad day. You see, we've all been there. But here's what I've learned. Even when some, everything is awful, there's always a reason to rejoice. You see, God makes the bad in our lives and makes it good. Even if all you can manage is, God, thank you that tomorrow's a new day. Or thank you for how this pain is going to make me stronger. I want to encourage you to rejoice. The Bible says, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. There might be someone in your life right now who is struggling to find a reason to rejoice. This Advent season. Maybe God wants to use you to surprise someone with a reason to rejoice. Maybe you can surprise someone in your life with an actual gift. Maybe you can clean your, your brother or sister or take up their chores. Or you can write a letter to your parent and tell them how do you appreciate them. Maybe you can bake something or, or, or help someone, a friend who is struggling. You see, Christmas is, is, a, is a great time. This Advent season is a great time for us to, to show this love. But too many times we get so caught up in everything else that we forget the Savior. And I want to challenge you as we look at next week and as we get ready to celebrate Advent to someone and we look at how we can rejoice because what Christ has done for us in our lives. He sent Christ, is coming to this earth, and he died, Emmanuel, God, with us. What better thing to do than to rejoice And be glad, because Christ is here. Come join your voices with the heavenly song. Help send out the message that goes on and on. For what
1: a story we have to share. Noel, born as the King of Israel.
0: The first Noel.
2: CBC United Choir invites
1: you to join them in filling the air with The Worship of Christmas with special guest, world-renowned vocalist Larry Ford. Join us as we celebrate the miraculous birth of the Messiah, our Savior, the Mighty God, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Don't miss The Worship of Christmas, a heartwarming and soul-stirring musical Sunday, December 15th at 6 30 p.m. at Calvary Bible
0: Church on Collins Avenue. Admission is free. Sit back, listen up for a short Christmas devotional we'd like to share with you.
1: I have a Christmas devotional I'd like to share with you this morning. It's called, Three Trees at Christmas. It's written by Dr. Larry Waters, who is Associate Professor of Bible Exposition at Dallas Theological Seminary. A tree planted by the water, Jeremiah 17, verse eight. Three trees at Christmas. The Christmas tree is often the center of focus during the holidays. We decorate it, place presents under it, and admire its many lights and ornaments. Yet how often do we associate the tree with the real meaning of Christmas? Consider three examples of trees from the scriptures that might help us to focus on the real reason for the Incarnation. First, the salvation tree. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Jesus died for the sins of humanity so that the one who trusts in him would be made righteous. Number two, the scorched tree. Thus says the Lord Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. A person trusting anyone or anything except Christ is pictured as a worthless, barren tree without nourishment dried up. Number three, the sanctified tree. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 7 and 8. This tree is the believer who is set apart in Christ producing spiritual nourishing fruit This Christmas, as you enjoy decorating the tree and focusing on its beauty, consider these three trees nestled in its shadow, the Salvation Tree, which is a tree of beauty and redemption and justification, the Scorched Tree, which is a dry, dead of life without Christ tree, and the Sanctified Tree a life that puts Christ at the center of Christmas. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful time of the year and for this devotional reminder that there are different kinds of trees that we can be reminded of when we look at our own Christmas trees. Lord, we would desire that we would be salvation trees because of knowing the beauty of your redemption and justification in Christ. Lord, help us not to be scorched trees They reject Jesus and are dry and dead of life without him. Lord, help us to be sanctified trees, trees that are lives, that are put under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not only at Christmas, but all the year round. Thank you, Lord, that you will help us in these regards, for we trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio.com at gmail.com That's E-O-C-Radio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. 1 Corinthians 3.15 gives rise to this question.
1: Is Paul suggesting that believers will experience the fires of purgatory before going to heaven? In 1 Corinthians 3 verses 13 to 15, Paul teaches that God will evaluate and reward the quality of each Christian's work. The results will entail both reward and loss, but Paul is quick to say that the loss will not endanger one's salvation. But what is the meaning of Paul's phrase, as though through fire? Is he referring to the fires of purgatory? Fire is used in scripture as an image of judgment. Uh, Compare 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. Passing through fire is indicative of a narrow escape. See Amos chapter 4 verse 11 and Zechariah chapter 3 verse 2. Paul uses the image of burning to refer to the testing of the believer's works. Worthless works will be burned up to the believer's loss. But no harm will come to the believer, although the experience is likened to a narrow escape. Note Paul's use of the word as, Greek, hos. Paul is not saying that the believer passes through fire. His warning is hypothetical. It is merely as if this were the case. The doctrine of purgatory is based on the apocryphal book of 2 Maccabees, which was never accepted by Judaism or by the New Testament writers as inspired. 2 Maccabees chapter 12 verses 44 to 45 commends believers, excuse me, commends prayers and sacrifices for the dead so that they might be released from their sins. But Christ has paid the full and final sacrifice for sins. See Hebrews 1 verse 3 and Hebrews 1 Hebrews 10 verse 14. There is no biblical basis for uh, purgatorial suffering for sins before entering heaven.
0: You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Today our worship service begins at 10.30 a.m. in the sanctuary located at 62 Collins Avenue. We invite you to join us. Feel free to write us at EOCradio at gmail.com. That's EOCradio at gmail.com or write us at P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.